This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation? Where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. This video is brought to you by OKCoin Crypto Exchange, where you can buy, sell, and trade your favorite cryptocurrencies, and you don't have to pay high fees. OKCoin has very low fees lower than many of the other crypto exchanges in the market. You can also stake your cryptocurrencies and keep 100% of the rewards. There are no fees. Other exchanges charge fees. OKCoin allows you to keep 100% of the rewards. Sign up with OKCoin, link in the description. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Thinking Crypto channel. With me today is Gabor Gerbox, Director of Digital Asset Strategy at VanEck, and also the founder of Pointsville, Gabor, it's great to be speaking with you. Good to hang out. Thanks for your time. Uh, let, let's talk about your background. Where are you from? Where'd you grow up? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a Hungarian man. So I've, I grew up in Hungary at the uh, southern border of Hungary, just uh, next to Croatian border. And uh, spent most of my life in Hungary and traveled a little bit around uh, with my family in Europe. Uh, my parents had jobs that included... Uh, travel and so so I got to go to a number of countries in Europe as is a pretty small continent I spent a little bit of time in Germany spent a little a little bit of time in Croatia and Italy and um, sort of like the neighboring countries in Austria um, yeah so that's kind of um, I grew up in Hungary and then um, went to uh, school there up until high school, at which point I went to, came to the U.S. and went to Deerfield Academy to finish my high school and went to college, stuck in Massachusetts for a number of years, went to Williams uh, uh, for my undergrad. And what did you do before you started working at Van Eck? So I was actually, I started working at Van Eck right out of college. Uh, I'm you know, look a little bit older. I'm a pretty young guy, actually. <laughs> and uh, um, so, yeah, Manic is sort of my first um, big job. Previously, I did run some businesses, like when I was in school. So I ran two businesses. One of them is an archaeology business, uh, which was um, ended up becoming a pretty big business in Europe. And so wow. we excavated things. And um, that, that was kind of my passion. Uh, and uh, I also ran... Uh, um, a regional sort of like um, grant procurement job kind of company that allowed people to work um, who were seasonal workers during the winter. Uh, so it was kind of interesting, you know, end of high school, college, um, studying in the U.S., running two businesses and uh, in Europe. Um, and so those are those are some things that I did before Van Eck. And uh, I had a number of, um, you know, teaching assistant and research jobs um, across um, some universities over summers and uh, <laughs> did all kinds of things. Very cool. Uh, what was your first encounter with crypto and what was your aha moment? Yeah, so like uh, my first encounter of with crypto wasn't really crypto because crypto wasn't around. Bitcoin was around. Mm -hmm. And so uh, in 2011, uh, I was uh, doing research at the Budapest Technical Institute. And uh, so studying there, I met a group of people um, who were really excited about networks. Um, I really, my background is in mathematics and uh, I'm a fan of discrete mathematics and network theory. So with this group was telling me about Bitcoin, which uh, you know, is supposed to be peer-to-peer -peer cash and this fun new thing. Um, and uh, so that was my first encounter over the summer of 2011. 
the group was trying to figure out how to mine Bitcoin. And it was just a fun research group. And we got uh, excited at the same time. Interestingly, at that point of time, there were not really exchanges. Um, <laughs> so it wasn't like you can just go and buy you know, Bitcoin at a at an exchange so you had to either mine or use a faucet or get bitcoin from someone so there's there definitely an interesting experience that um you know kept my uh interest and uh i was fascinated with this idea of creating money um that is not i call it networked money not really peer-to-peer but something that is very difficult to destroy sure and uh my fam- family like and during, um, you know, during uh, communism and national socialism, the area of Hungarian place where I grew up, uh, my family and sort of friends and friends of the family have been impacted by totalitarian regimes, um, first the Nazis and then the communists. And so, you know, we, we are always interested, we Hungarians specifically, about technologies that allow us to protect our currencies. And... Um, you know, Bitcoin is particularly interesting to us as a group because it's network money that is hard to destroy. And the other characteristic was that uh, it had a fixed supply. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fixed supply nature was interesting because Hungary went through the largest uh, hyperinflation uh, in history. You know, imagine adding you know 28 zeros after your currency over the course of five years. So, wow. Um, Definitely an interesting concept, and and so Hungarians still have the spirit of you know defending your assets, and and focusing on on hard assets. So uh, 2011, with an interested group of students who are trying to figure out how to mine and how to access the Bitcoin network. So you are certainly an OG in the crypto market. You were here since the beginning, um, even when it w- wasn't even a market, right? It was just Bitcoin, um, and that's amazing. And now you're at Vanek leading crypto slash digital asset strategy. Uh, tell us about that and, and what Vanek is currently doing from a crypto perspective. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, uh, I, from 2011 onwards, like I was running a business. It was sort of first, I didn't know whether Bitcoin is going to be a big thing or not. And certainly my family uh, said that, you know, if you're studying so hard, you should, you know, get a real job <laughs> as opposed to focusing on magic internet money. And, uh, you know, for for a while, you know, they were right, and I was like, well, you know, if we came to America to study and uh, you know have a good position, so I was considering working for innovative firms, and um, that's how I came across Vanak. Uh, and you know, Vanak is a firm that uh, is established in 1955, and while it is a 85 plus billion dollar asset manager, so decently sized company. It's a private company that's also focusing on innovation, having built some of the first gold funds in the U.S. in the 60s, uh, having built one of the first emerging markets funds, um, built the first esports funds and applied for you know, the first Bitcoin ETF on the future side, at least, and we're, we're very early on the physical side as well. And so I was, I was excited to start working with uh, Van Eck and I started there. Um, the The founder of the firm uh, was John Vanek, who's the father of our current founder, Jan Vanek. And I was really inspired by the hard work of Jan, who is my current boss uh, at Vanek. Um, and uh, you know, Jan has been just hustling, building cool funds, and uh, you know, providing the type of reliable, but also um, sort of thematic exposures that are relevant at the time earlier than others. So I wanted to work in that space and work myself up um, from being an analyst to working with the uh, CEO. Um, did a bunch of jobs, mostly structuring funds, you know, creating new like funds like the esports fund that we run, um, working on, on, on Bitcoin. And, and I transitioned to, after a while, to focusing on Bitcoin and digital assets at Vanek. Uh, with Jan, who is uh, still very supportive and uh, really is kind of you know helping us build the core sort of um, infrastructure for um, you know for for Bitcoin, and we can talk about it. There's a lot to it what we have yeah. done over the past years. And- so it, it seems like every firm out there, and, and obviously Benek uh, being one of the big leaders in in this space, are looking to get a Bitcoin ETF. Um, 
but right now it seems the SEC, we don't know what's happening there and what direction uh, Gary Genser wants to move in. Um, I know there's probably not a lot you can say here because these things are in regulatory review and process. Tell us about what you guys are trying to achieve with a Bitcoin ETF and getting one approved and, and your vision for once uh, that is approved. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously, as you said it too, I can't comment on um, on the specifics of, of an ETF registration. In in general, I can say that yes, for a number of years now, we are trying to bring to market uh, different access vehicles for Bitcoin. Some of them are physical uh, access vehicles. Some of them are futures based. Um, personal opinion is that uh, you know. Uh, uh, physical exposure, so buy directly um, idea is much better for investors. And um, to me, it's a no-brainer to approve a structure like that. Um, the benefit of a Bitcoin ETF is that it can be owned in brokerage account for the everyday investors. You buy your stocks and bonds and you own your Bitcoin in an ETF wrapper uh, next to your stocks and bonds with the same protections that apply to your bonds. So uh, stocks and bonds and, and funds. So you get, you're guaranteed to get a good price uh, that is clean and you know, people are not front running you. You are, um, you have basically clean uh, access and transparent access to pricing of trades. You have transparent uh, transparency into custody. You have different insurance and uh, protection uh, against bankruptcy. And uh, we had the firm believe that uh, providing that kind of access to investors where they can feel safe and know that there is uh, the same market infrastructure that has created a $20 trillion market in the U.S. applied to them as well it should be just granted for Bitcoin as opposed to some of the other structures that are out there that trade at a crazy you know, premium or discount. People are being locked into funds. Uh, and you know, try to access things from uh, private vehicles that again might not have the same protection. So, you know, to me, it is a no-brainer to approve the structure that provides the best protection to investors. And um, and you know, it's, it is clear that people are, you know, other countries have approved uh, ETPs. Savannah has um, Bitcoin and digital asset ETPs in Europe. Um, Canada, Brazil, all these countries are approved Bitcoin uh, ETPs of different sorts. So like, you know, why can't the U.S. approve one? And like, you look at crypto exchanges just in the U.S., some of them, some of them which are publicly traded companies have tens of millions of customers um, that are not getting as much protection and oversight as they could. And I think, again, the, mar the market would really benefit from the ETF and there's, there's no good reason right now for the SEC not to approve an ETF. And again, uh, you know, this might be politically driven. Uh, there might be uh, questions whether Bitcoin challenges the status of the US dollar, which is the you know, to-go reserve and transactional currency of the world. So there's a lot of, at stake, but um, again, um, there is, I think it's, to me, it's nonsensical uh, to, let tens of millions of people access Bitcoin and be, you know, maybe pay a lot more for transaction fees, maybe not get the same insurance, maybe not get the same access. I, again, I think the regulators are running out of excuses. Why not approve a Bitcoin? Yeah. I hope uh, they approve one. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm in absolutely agreement. And to your point, we want that physically backed ETF, right? Not the futures, mm -hmm. but I know Gary Genser, from some of his comments, is looking to potentially a Bitcoin futures ETF getting approved. So I'm assuming you guys have both options on the table? Yeah, yeah. So actually, you know, Vanek was the first um, company to file for a futures-based ETF that was even before futures existed, because we knew that... Uh, if there are, they're going to be a regulated futures market that trades within uh, basically the, the regulatory limits and capital markets infrastructure that exists for derivatives in the US, then that market is by definition is as clean as you can get. Uh, and so we said, okay, uh, there are a number of commodities like oil, uh, for instance, one of them natural gas that trade pretty significant amount of volume on the futures and some of the those markets actually are futures first because 
you know, like one example would be, suppose you own a contract with that allows you access to 10,000 barrels of oil. Mm-hmm. It's hard to take delivery of 10,000 uh, barrels of oil in your backyard, no matter how big your backyard is. So, <laughs> uh, you know, like same for natural gas, same for some of the commodities. So it was impractical to have physical trading, so to speak. Um, and for Bitcoin, it's a little bit different. Uh, you could have physical delivery. Um, but the point is, actually, a lot of people really just want the exposure uh, to Bitcoin. So they just trade paper Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, uh, and there are some delivery mechanisms. But point is, you know, right now, there's enough open interest to support an ETF on the future side. And uh, what regulators may be thinking, and some of them are obviously thinking that the you know, CME futures market is regulated, hence there's no wrongdoing, there's no market manipulation, it's a clean price, it's a clean access point. So you know, incentivize access to those regulated uh, um, kind of areas and, and, and on-ramps. I think that's, that's what they have in mind. Now, again, I personally think you can get... Um, so why is this different? So the CME, like futures contracts, for instance, are federally regulated and overseen by the CFTC. Crypto trading platforms are um, state-by-state regulated, meaning that they don't have a, you know, an ATS, an alternative trading system status. They don't have a brokerage status and they don't have a federal status. So they're just small, small-ish, right? <laughs> Some of them are $50 billion plus exchanges, but they are state-by-state uh, entities. And Hence, federal regulators don't have any oversight. So the, again. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Should that stop the approval of an ETF? Um, personally, I don't think so. Um, the entire insurance industry in the United States is a multi-trillion dollar market. As of today, it's state by state regulated. Yep. There's never federal regulation, but again, this whole um, federal regulators are comfortable with uh, futures-based funds uh, and uh, and products because um, there is a sort of like regulatory oversight from the federal level. For the investor, there are costs involved in you know rolling futures contracts, uh, getting the exposure. There is you know the spot market is much bigger than the futures market, so. I think investors are better served with a physical product, but if there are futures product approved, I think investors are going to get access to it because some of them really like the ETF structure and holding uh, things in their brokerage accounts. Um, I mean, maybe investors will use foreign vehicles and they already started doing that, right? Like they buy Canadian ETFs from their funds because there are no US ETFs. So that's the, you know, I, I think that probably creates some level of urgency for um, the SEC to find at least some level of solutions to keep capital um, in the United States. Now, uh, I know at this point it, it's a guessing game, but what does your gut tell you? Do you think um, we see the approvals go out this year or it might happen next year? I, you know, timing, I can't comment on it. Um, to me, that it's, it's sort of like a van, not an if. At some point, it's got like we, and this this is my personal speculation on this, but um, it is logical to approve uh, Bitcoin ETPs in the US. Otherwise, capital is just going to migrate abroad or business will be done on a state-by-state basis. And it's really not the interest of anyone. So I'm hoping that um, when the SEC is, you know, they're actually hiring out different departments. The administration just changed. So they're doing basic HR stuff, <laughs> you know, like hire the head of departments, hire these people, create our report. So they are behind in a bunch of things. And I think um, soon we'll get to um, ETF decisions. And, and I'm, you know, obviously, as a biased person, I hope that it's sooner rather than later. 
Sure. Um, tell us about the custody solutions and the price uh, data solutions, because those were major concerns years ago. I think I don't think those are concerns now, but I'm curious what Vanek will be using for custody and, and price aggregation. Yeah, so I um, we um, I can't remember if I can talk about the custody part, but the on the pricing side, um, we're the first. So our subsidiary MBIS, it's, a, it's an indexing entity that has roughly 34, 35 billion dollars in indexed assets, um, four of which in, is in crypto, which is pretty cool actually. Um, so we created the first um, uh, regulated. EU benchmark regulated indices, uh, which are live for four plus years at this point. Um, and so we think that those benchmark actually solve all kinds of pricing issues. We're very granular data. We have, you know, we're using clean data from a set of exchanges um, that also underlie the uh, CME um, Bitcoin futures um, kind of contract. So you know, by definition, it should be a clean price feed. We have seen, we've used those approved ETFs from Switzerland, Canada, and 13 countries in Europe use those uh, um, price feeds to price assets and there's no issues. So th those are the feeds that we, I agree with you, it's not a problem anymore. Like pricing is you can price an asset. <laughs> and we work with a crypto compare as a, you know, an early partner uh, from that, I you know I think I still think as of today they were one of the early guys in the space. They have the best data for institu institutional products. They also serve some regulators, uh, agencies, you know all kinds of um, all kinds of units and, and funds and uh, hedge funds, ETPs, and so on. So uh, pretty comfortable with that. With that, on the custody side, um, there's only a few like there's maybe one or so federally regulated bank, uh, but like. We use um, we use a, a solution that a third party custodian for our assets, and just kind of separation of duties principle that is important for ATS. Um, yeah, so it's not like custody right now. All the so the custodian has um, um, insurance and uh, and um, also like reg capital against any theft or losses, and while. Three, four, five, six years ago, you couldn't say that uh, you know we we're comfortable with custody today. Um, you know, there's organizations figured out their insurance, cold storage pro procedures became pretty good, I would say, and um, and in my opinion, there are a number of you know companies that are able to safeguard assets much better than banks today. <laughs> so uh, you know, again, we feel comfortable. On the trading side, um, we use market makers that are large market makers for um, ETS for our other ETS as well. Um, you know that for our it's public information that uh, Jane Street Flow Traders and DRW are our crypto kind of market makers uh, in Europe for the ETPs in Europe, and so in the US we'll see a similar set of market makers uh, for this for the ETS. So I, again. <laughs> Not many issues. Uh, everything is institutional quality, battle tested in Europe in 13 countries with hundreds of millions of dollars of assets. So it is, we just we just need the approval to move forward uh, the mechanics uh, and the structural works. Sure. Now, would the plan be uh, once a Bitcoin ETF is approved and that's up and running, that you expand to other crypto assets like Ethereum and whatever else is you know in the in the top 10 or top 30? And it sort of is based on business priorities. Um, and we are considering assets for a high quality to launch ETPs. And uh, you've seen that we have an Ethereum ETP as well in Europe, and I expect others as well. And um, I think um, it is you know, a market. So this is my, my, my belief. So you should have access to all assets uh, in the market. What's the merit of an asset? It's what the market decides. Uh, so it is. It shouldn't be the job, and traditionally haven't been the job of regulators like the SEC to say that oh, this is a good asset. Right. Uh, and even asset managers, sure, for business reasons, you can select, but basically offer the market the opportunity to invest uh, or not into an asset, and let the market decide. I think it's really bad when regulators are picking winners, um, and it's not. It's not good form. 
my personal belief, uh, as many know that Bitcoin is a differentiated asset among all, and uh, and you know it's a it's a completely different value proposition that uh, than the other assets. Fixed supply, clean launch. Um, you know, the beneficial early ownership is very different from some of the other tokens. But I would also say that, you know, some of the other tokens in the market have very specific purpose, uh, either in the smart contracting play, uh, space, um, yeah, or, and there, there are a number of what I call uh, kind of like leaders in the, in the space uh, that I think are worth exploring and let the market decide, you know, what, what to do with them. Um- as you guys are one of the biggest names, um, you, you know, you mentioned just your legacy, the, 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 how long Banex has been around. You've, you've worked with a lot of different institutions. What is the, the demand or the sentiment you're seeing from those inst- institutions for crypto? Has that been in- increasing? Um, it seems like it's happening all around that the demand is on the rise. What, what are you guys seeing? Um, so overall demand is, is really interesting. So um, we see a lot of demand. And um, so we have a fund, the APP DAP, which is uh, basically offers you exposure to the uh, top um, publicly traded crypto equities. So you see some of the crypto exchanges, miners and infrastructure companies in the basket. So from the institutional side, since those are cash flow generating securities that offer some level of exposure to the crypto space, they're interested in that. So we see a lot of demand uh, on, the, on that side. And so people want to have a basket and say, you know, these are the cash generating winners in the space. I want to get exposure to the top 25 and then have the ETF shuffle the winners in over time. So that is that is um, sort of like a clear um direction and, and demand that we are we're seeing because a lot of institutions as of today are sort of um, on the edge about touching coin if you will <laughs> meaning like like you can you can buy um, you know if you have access to this space uh, and you can buy um, you know stocks that will benefit from the rise of you know, trading these assets mining these assets and you can own them without any regulatory uncertainty then you know they will do that. So that's that's one. Um, I see um, there's a, a lot of investors who are ready to invest if there is an ETF, um, and and so that's uh, I'm still very hopeful that uh, it's gonna get approved because um, it's a good structure um, that offers daily liquidity, transparency for pricing and holdings, and and one kind of non-sexy topic is like tax documents. So ETFs give you like tax documents and very standard docs that you can just kind of give your account in and that's things are clear and not complicated. So um, that demand we are seeing and uh, yeah, uh, the other um, thing maybe um, that's, that's worthwhile to mention that there's a lot of private investment um, going around in the space. And, and so we're seeing um, demand for some of the private like limited partnerships and some people are still accessing Bitcoin through LPs. We have one um, in the market, don't really talk about it too much, but uh, the uh, people are accessing the market privately because you know public markets are halted by regulators. And uh, <laughs> that's kind of interesting to me, um, yeah. Um- now, I know there's probably not a lot you can say here, but I have to ask the question, is there anything you can give us a hint on that's on the Vanek roadmap for crypto for the remainder of 2021 and maybe into 2022? Yeah, so um, I can't say specifics, obviously, because it's our <laughs> business to kind of win and be first. And and uh, so um, one of the interesting things that you'll see that uh, we have uh, we have announced some partnerships already. Like for instance, with FTX, we announced a partnership on perpetual swaps on the on two indices. So you're able to trade the market in blue chips already on FTX for a crypto perp, which is really cool. I think so. We'll see uh, a lot more crypto native partnerships and exchange partnerships uh, on our side. So that would be one thing I can say without mentioning any specifics. The FTX part is public information, so I can say that. Uh, and 
I think you'll also see a number of other kind of tokens to be launched um, in from Vanex European business. Um, Europe is open for business. Europe uh, kind of is, uh, you know, at least 13, 14 countries are favoring crypto and one capital formation to be there. So you'll see partnerships being announced, uh, you know, fairly soon actually about a few um, kind of tokens that are going to be um, have ETPs on them. Uh, awesome. And I think, you know, that's, that's kind of, that goes back to my principle that uh, markets should be free and vehicles should be available and investors should decide what they are worth. So uh, I'm kind of curious actually as uh, for the market, broader market to get involved um, in, in crypto. So like, you know, you and I uh, spend a lot of time <laughs> you know, on Twitter and uh, social media and YouTube, watch educational videos on your channel and, or you know, just generally. And so we kind of have a pulse of what's going on and feels like everyone is involved, but there's many, many people who are not involved and are not investing until their banks and, um, you know, savings and accounts and, and providers provide access to regulated funds. So we're trying to get that vast majority of the people involved through these um, funds. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's just a big segment of the population who are still not uh, involved. So totally makes sense. That's, that's exciting. I want to uh, go a bit off topic from crypto for a moment and talk about Poinsville. Um, which was pretty cool when I saw that you announced that. Can you give us an overview of what is Poinsville and what, what can users use it for? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, how I like to uh, describe Poinsville is uh, it's uh, Coinbase plus Pokemon Go plus Amazon combined. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, this is like, I think this is the easiest description and like, so we have wallets that look and feel like crypto wallets. We don't use any blockchains or crypto uh, right now, but it's basically allows the everyday person to create points and rewards that are branded to you. Hmm. My prediction uh, is that we're going to see um, right now, uh, I, I said that four or five years ago that we we're going to see 10,000 tokens when there were two listed on <laughs> uh, Coinbase. Uh, Right now we have around 9,000 tokens roughly on the market. I actually think that we're gonna see millions of brands with uh, various tokens. And the these brands are looking for uh, launching, sort of like giving people tokens that represent rewards or access or uh, some sort of way of engaging um, with, with people. So that's what we are providing without the craziness of trading and you know pre-issuances and all those uh, kind of bad things that I think many of the crypto networks have. So, you know, we have even, we have actually, uh, this is kind of cool. Like we have the first pension association, $33 billion Texas state pension association that onboarded with us and they created their own point system. And it, you know, looks and feels like crypto, but no one was pre-issued anything. There's no trading in it. But you use it, use the point system to do educational programs or give people access to events. Uh, so keeping the qualities uh, in some ways of crypto without many of the. Uh... Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Issues that crypto suffer from, which come primarily from trading. And the maybe an interesting one is, so the, our primary thing is that we're able to, um, you know, like Pokemon Go, you pull up your phone and so you're able to, uh, as you pull up your phone, you're able to see all these points from 
Some of our partners include FDX, Texas Pension Fund. We announced that we work with the Pittsburgh Pirates and MLB. Uh, we work with uh, Tickets.com, Ski Resorts, and a broad range of companies. Um, and so you're able to see rewards and and these points and tokens that are not crypto linked, but you know sort of provide access to those brands that you interact with. So. Um, right now, we have 20 plus platform uh, companies on our platform. We have more than 50 actually as of today, just in a pipeline. Um, so, I think we're going to have probably, and that includes like smaller companies too, who want to create a rewards program like American Airlines and the big airlines or hotels. Um, and uh, and and so you know now like for instance like you can create a rewards program in three minutes and push your educational points into AR. So we open up that platform um, to everyone. And so you can advertise yourself uh, and own your customers as opposed to like, you know, Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, who are kind of obfuscating who is interacting with you. So walk me through this and and maybe, um, so I I can wrap my head around it a bit. There's an app. Um, I can go in, create a reward system, let's say for my channel, thinking crypto points mm-hmm. or whatever it is. And people who interact with that can earn rewards. And what in the rewards, um, I can assign, uh, I guess, the respective value of how they can leverage those points. Exactly. Uh, so there's, there's, so there are two, there's an application, uh, the points for the app, it's in the Apple store and the uh, Google Play or Android store. Uh, and when you download the app, um, you're able to see all the brands that are in our network uh, there. So you're able to earn points um, two major ways. One is uh, if you watch educational videos, like for instance, your YouTube uh, channel, then you can get Thinking Crypto points. And after you watch five videos, you know you can get a discount for something or a gift card. or, or uh, So that's, that's one way to earn. You can also enter augmented reality and collect these points around you if you go to specific places like a treasure hunt. <laughs> and wow. uh, so, so that those are the two ways you can earn. So uh, in the platform, and then there's a shopping page where the brands like you, for instance, or FTX or you know Pirates, they upload what items you can redeem, uh, basically your shopping items. And it, this could be a badge, that educational badge. This is what some of our financial companies and pension funds do. Like, hey, after completing five courses, this badge certifies that you have, you know, received educational status. Um, and then we have uh, AMAs. You know, for instance, an AMA with you, uh, BitTorrent has an AMA with Justin Sun. Pointsville has an AMA with me. So after connecting certain amounts of points, you can have a private discussion. Um, and then. Um, yeah, and so those those are uh, the interesting ones, and we're also maybe I guess I guess that's the that's a, the fun part. A lot of people like cash, so you're able to issue through the platform Visa gift cards to people, so actual um, cards, and um, those cards uh, are spendable wherever a Visa is spendable, and uh, you get five percent cash back at. Uh, 109 stores um, on that so it's, it's kind of it's kind of cool and uh, we opened it up to the everyday person so like um, you know our clients um, go into a, a website where you have a, your control panel so you can control where your uh, points are in AR you can control what videos you would uh, attach points to so it gives you the, and it, we also have like a wallet. You can send uh, points to your friends. You can redeem it. You can scan QR. So it's kind of creating the crypto experience without the crypto railways, which are often problematic for regulatory reasons. So we want to stay clean and uh, and you know. <laughs> so this is my this is my um, thesis behind all of this. Um, some of the crypto projects are protocol technologies. Um, usually protocol technologies are zero-sum games. So uh, from a game theory perspective, there's going to be a few winners who will be, you know, <laughs> focusing on sound money like Bitcoin. There, there's going to be a few platforms who win smart contracting platforms. There's going to be a few applications that will be useful. But 
many of the coins are not, not probably not going to be around and large brands and even small brands will want to do, you know, kind of your own thing. So why can't you just do your own thing without all the crazy trading and without actually issuing an internet protocol as opposed to just using the tokens, right? So that is what, I think that is what's taking our current 10,000 cryptocurrencies to a million and to a million brands as opposed to cryptos. And, and so anyways, that's why, that's why we built Coinsville. And um, another concurrent trend uh, that I think is interesting is I firmly believe that in 10 years, um, large media companies like um, you know, YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter will have to pay their users for eyeball time. So you know, you're a creator, you have an excellent channel, you're getting a little bit of something back from those platforms, but the vast majority is kept by the platforms. So we want to refocus that to allow creators to actually directly interact with customers and keep the vast majority uh, of revenues and kind of own your customers as opposed to those large corporations owning your customers. And at the same time, you as a creator can pay your customers in points, uh, which will then give people status. Sort of what like uh, NFTs in my opinion are a stepping stone to, to this kind of direction. Sure. We're just trying to do it a little bit more cleanly. So um, yeah, that's I guess that's a quick summary. <laughs> I love the idea and it absolutely makes sense. And I love the decentralized nature of it. The fact that someone like myself, I don't, I'm not a company, I'm not some big brand, but I can go do that and create a reward system with my community. That's pretty cool. Yeah. It's oh, trying wow. to keep that principle of like opening up platforms and, you know, you can open up platforms multiple ways, not just by issuing cryptocurrencies, but by just giving control to people, uh, and, and that's what we are trying to do. So I have to ask, what was the genesis of the idea? How did, how did it come about that you were like, you know what, I want to do this? It, yeah, um, so a, a few things. Like one um, is that the idea that um, there are so many protocols and tokens out there that are nonsense. <laughs> and uh, literally they're issuing, oh, this is going to be the new underlying network of the internet. And we know that, you know, it's uh, the TCP IP protocol that's the underlying. So, we, and, and, and so these companies are trying to either like raise money, trade, or compete in the protocol space. And I think most of these applications are missing the main use case, which is connecting communities with brands and, and like educational material and content. So, we wanted to solely focus on that and provide technology that scales without all the mess that is happening in crypto. Already when we started seeing like the rise of Ethereum and ICOs and, and all the kind of, you know, that is many of the projects there have been lingering around but haven't been used. Like all, many of the ICOs from 2017 when you started your channels, you know, they've disappeared or they are kind of dead if it's a crazy market cap. And so we wanted to, but, but people were excited about this experience of offering their own brands. So basically that's what we were doing. We were that sort of like, I think the ICO craze was badly executed. And in my opinion, you know, led to a lot of fraud, scam and disappointments. And at the same time, I think what people wanted is to create their own thing, uh, you know, that, that's useful. So that, that, that was driving the process. And, uh, you know, fortunately, we also had an early, uh, really interested uh, partner, which was the Pittsburgh Pirates uh, you know, from MLB. And, uh, you know, they were, especially during COVID, they were looking for new ways to interact with fans. Um, and, you know, we asked a question like, what if, you know, sports never comes back? How do you interact? Like by never, I mean like very limited stadiums were empty for almost a year and a half. So, um, so that's the, that was, that was driving the uh, latest kind of stage of development and, and the app. Yeah. Wow. I love it. Um, and I'm going to have to definitely uh, look into this. I will talk offline about it, um, that's good. but <laughs> let's talk more about the crypto market uh, before we wrap it up. 
Um, okay, the big news. Gary Gensler spoke to banking, the Senate Banking Committee yesterday. Mm-hmm. He's he's talking about stable coins being securities, which I find ridiculous. Uh, looking at Coinbase and exchanges, looks like they want to go after him. We have the major lawsuit against Ripple over XRP. What are your thoughts on what is going on here? And uh, do you see Congress maybe having to step in? Look, I, get, I think... Um... Regulators are running their own agenda. If you listen to the hearing yesterday and all the congressmen and congresswomen and just and like sorry senators are asking questions that clearly the vast majority of American people and American decision makers want crypto to flourish in this country. Regulators are simply too slow, and they are not doing their job, allowing or creating a way or frameworks to allow the flourishment of this industry uh, in the United States. And I think senators are saying that this is like, we need to put down our foot. People and decision makers want this. Why are regulators holding up uh, things in red tape? So that is my like number one comment that it's clear to me that leaders and uh, so leaders, decision makers from Congress and from the house are on the same page with American people that this industry should stay in the U.S. and should be allowed to flourish in some guidelines. And I think it's a real shame that regulators cannot make up their mind and write a simple two-page guidance. Some of these agencies have thousands of employees, and, and I think it's absolutely needed to move forward with their guidance one way or another. And I, I also think that many of the regulators are overstepping their mandate. We earlier touched base on that and previously the SEC did not make merit-based decision on, on approving an ETF. They right. literally just reviewed whether the disclosure was appropriate. It doesn't feel like it today. Uh, and, and so, again, my comment is I have no idea how a regulatory agency state agency can just hold up everything when the industry people and leaders are pushing to actually make things happen we're being leapfrogged by china and literally every nation uh on earth so um (laughs) what i make of it is i think uh i mean just from the comments questions that i'm here like you know the actual decision makers seem to be pretty pissed that we don't have any progress um Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, a lot of people are focused on the lawsuit with the SEC against Ripple because they're looking to see what the outcome is because the rest of the crypto market could potentially use that to their advantage, right? That, uh, look, the SEC did not give fair notice on um, crypto regulations. They still haven't. It's it's kind of a black box there. Um, Was Ripple, was XRP a security at a certain period of time of 2013 to 2015? Possibly. Is it now? I don't think so because the network has become decentralized, but a lot of crypto projects are in the same boat, right? They started out, this was a new thing. Um, you know, what are your thoughts on this lawsuit and, and potential outcome? Yeah, for, first, in general, I would say the issue is the lack of guidance. Howie mm-hmm. uh, tests are unclear. The entire regulatory structures about tokens are unclear. So people just don't know. And I think we deserve guidance. And in fact, that's why agencies exist. And that's why taxpayers are shelling out billions of dollars to fund these agencies to provide guidance. So we should know, if I look at the top 100 list of coins, I think the regulators should have an opinion of this is a security, this is not a security. And I think that clarity, we deserve that. So that is not in place. So specifically to Ripple, I think, and again, like this is just personal opinions, like they are seem to be unfairly picked out uh, from the crowd because there are a number of other tokens that are in a similar uh, sort of uh, boat. So why, you know, why Ripple? I saw um, an infographic on the other day saying that uh, countries where, you know, XRP might be a security and then it says United States, countries where XRP is a currency, there's like 100 countries on that list. Uh, and it is sort of my feeling as well, like, why, are, why, why is it just going against Ripple? I think what we need is definitive guidance of what's a security in the crypto space. Most people cannot, and even with really expensive lawyers, cannot interpret laws from 1933 and 1940, which drive our securities decision-making and apply to assets that were created a few years ago, 
completely electronically under completely different frameworks. So I'm just, you know, I'm not sure why is it so hard to give guidance to people. Um, I, I do not support the whole regular, like this was, I think one of the, um, one of the senators were asking like, why do you lead by enforcement as opposed to guidance? You could lead by guidance. And like, I don't think it's fair to American companies where we see Chinese companies and, and foreign securities not being treated in the same way with enforcement versus American companies who are going enforcement first because we can't provide guidance by agencies that have thousands of employees whose job is to provide guidance. Like, so it's, it, I, I think it's really weird. And I think, um, you know, the House and Congress are looking to say that, you know, please provide guidance. And I'm really hoping that there will be an ETA on that too. Uh, because that seems to be the biggest issue. Uh, and there's no clock uh, that is kind of running on regulators. And, and at the same time, like the best companies that could have uh, generated billions in taxes in the US are moving away from here because they're like, well, I'm sorry, like I can't work in a jurisdiction where we don't know what the status of a project is. So, uh, right. Yeah. Um, uh, let's talk about Bitcoin because I mean, and just the juxtaposition of when you were, you know, looking at Bitcoin in 2011 to where we're at now. Countries making it illegal tender, and El Salvador companies putting it on their balance sheet. Uh, just amazing what's Bitcoin's growth. And I want to ask if you feel we are still in a bull market, and if you have a Bitcoin price prediction as well. Yeah. So. Um... On regarding adoption, I think we are, and you know, El Salvador adopting Bitcoin, which is kind of old news by now. But uh, you know, some of the other, uh, and I speak to finance ministers. Actually, a number of them are fr friends of mine in the sort of like Meso and South American space, and you know, they are actually looking at Bitcoin as sort of like a, a reserve asset uh, in the space. And and we talk about gold being a central bank uh, and reserve asset to hedge against inflation. I think those conversations are happening in not just the, the countries that you're seeing in the news today, <laughs> but a much broader set uh, wow. to, to just complement gold as an inflation hedge. Um, a number of uh, countries who are worried about inflation actually increase their gold reserves and they're looking to uh, you know, potentially adopt other assets um, and, you know, they, many of these countries are, they don't want to avoid sanctions. They don't want to have any issues with any, you know, the U.S. or any sort of like financial groups. All they want to do is to make sure uh, that their asset is not depreciating. So what I'm, uh, and, you know, I'm always happy to have this conversation. Obviously, like in 2011, I did not have uh, the country making Bitcoin legal tender is, you know, just maybe hopes and dreams. Uh but the, um, what I think will be interesting was when central banks actually use Bitcoin as a reserve currency um, um, themselves. And right now, the largest, I think 75% of all gold is held by central banks uh, as an inflation hedge. Um, for instance, my own country, Hungary, has, uh, if I remember well, more than doubled its gold uh, reserves over the past five years. So uh, it's... It, you know, it's, so people are actually concerned about inflation creeping up, which clearly is in multiple countries. Um, and I think the, the next big adoption curve for Bitcoin is one, legalizing it in a number of countries. Some of the countries will uh, say, we accept Bitcoin, it's legal to use, please invest into our countries. Because those countries like, you know, you go to El Salvador, you go to Panama, or like you go to some of the uh, these countries and and a few billion dollars of investment makes a huge difference and can start a generational wealth trend for millions of people. So they say, yeah, uh, I don't want to squeeze by, get squeezed by the IMF and get sanctions when I have this technology that can make my people prosper. So anyways, I'm looking to South um, and Mesoamerica and some of the Central Eastern European countries um, also, you know, Ukraine is, for instance, public information that they're considering, but there are other countries in the region who are looking into Bitcoin and digital assets. Um, so that's, a, I think that's the bullish scenario. I don't have a price target for you. I, <laughs> I can't speculate, like, but maybe we can, let's just do a Todd experiment, right? Like right now, um, 
Bitcoin, what is it? Like under $1 trillion, right? And let's just uh, say that we are sitting at like, I don't know, 45K, just for the sake of argument. And around, let's say 50K and, and, and $1 trillion, just you know, for the sake of argument. Sure. Um, if, um, if Bitcoin, like gold's market, um, I like to use gold as an analogy because we're, we have uh, this firm, Vanek, has a history of, you know, <laughs> one of the longest history uh, with gold and we run the two largest gold miner ETFs in the world. And, and so, um, and you know, they're big. And so uh, the, um, so I think gold is a good an analogy. Like if Bitcoin can be a store of value and be used as a complement to gold, and let's just say it reaches half of its market capitalization, then we could have a 5X upside. Uh, so, you know, $250,000 Bitcoin in that framework is, is, is you know, not, not a crazy thing. Especially if is we we don't we haven't seen any central bank adoption we haven't seen many countries adopt Bitcoin. There's no ETFs in the U.S. and uh, most people are sitting on the sidelines. And and so um, you know I think as a, a potential you know half of gold's market capitalization, even that number uh, could get Bitcoin um, you know up five x. The on the other side of the equation you know to be fair. Um, if the crypto market were to collapse, for instance, broadly, uh, including Bitcoin sell-offs, uh, you know, burning through leverage longs to public companies would sell, uh, then we could see Bitcoin, I think, under the 2017 lows. So I think we could, you know, we have seen Bitcoin at 3,000. I don't believe that we're going to see Bitcoin at 3,000. But I don't. But it's it can be a there can be a scenario where Bitcoin we go back to the 10, 20 range. In my opinion, in that range, a lot of institutions would load up. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's again, it's just my opinion. Uh, kind of trying to uh, put a mental model around there. <laughs> but, prices, yeah. Um, I want to talk about NFTs. Do you own any? And is Vanek looking to do anything with NFTs? I, you know, I can't comment again on my portfolios. That's, that's one <laughs> core principle I have. And, uh, you know, on the NFT side, um, I think, um, yeah, <laughs> uh, there is. So there, there's a, so the interesting part of it is, a, you know, NFT started bringing um, money and trading into illiquid assets like art or, and incentivize people to create art. At the same time, most of the activity is related to speculating, gambling, and trading. And I personally don't think like, um, and you know, my, my father used to say that the, the best assets are not meant to be traded because you would not have anything else uh, other than that asset. So the art market is like that, actually, the physical art market, at least. If you want you know, a piece of history, you buy the painting, you don't want to fractionalize it, you don't want to NFT it. Your ownership, physical ownership of uh, the actual art piece is what gives you joy and this is what you would have. Um, I think NFTs are sort of like, here's a digital key to something that's replicable, uh, that can be you know, right-clicked and saved, and maybe you don't own the copyright to it, but um, a lot of it, I think, is uh, sort of speculation-driven. Um, in my opinion, this, this is actually, again, one of the things that Pointsville is executing very well, um, what we are doing is we're using, um, we don't call them NFTs kind of on the, on the platform, but we call them badges or, uh, mm -hmm. you know, access keys to, uh, some actual rights. Like if you, um, you know, if you own this badge, then you get a 10% discount. So it's actionable. It's useful as a, and it's not focusing on speculation. So I'm interested in applications of uh, collectibles, not just NFTs, but all sorts of uh, collectibles that grant you rights to things like accessing a stadium, like, uh, you know, getting a game ticket, like having access to an AMA, like educational badges that give you rights to view content before others. And I think those are the applications that are meant to last. And the speculation and the, you know, the front running and cross trading stuff that is happening in NFTs today, most of it is not meant to last. Mm. Yeah, I, I think to your point, it's there's a lot of uh, hype around it, but we'll see what actually stays and has longevity um, coming out of it. 
Um, real quick, I want to ask you about digital dollar and CBDCs. Seems like every central bank around the world is getting on board now. They're using the blockchain tech uh, to build a digital fiat. Do you think these same fiat problems we have now continue in the digital version or will this help curb some of the money printing? Yeah, so I actually do talk to a lot of central banks and, and sort of their uh, head of innovation to create these currencies. And I think they're inherently still centralized. And I usually say like blockchains are, if you're inherently centralized, I don't see any problems with centralization. There are some, but like, I think centralization can be efficient. There's no point to a blockchain. Like why use a blockchain to do these currencies where you know, blockchains are helpful for coordinating enemies and differing kind of opinions. But five countries, let's just say five countries want to launch a CBDC and agree on rules. How long does it take to agree on a random small political thing for five countries, let alone 20 or an entire economic region? Like it takes decades. So I think those issues will prevail that are inherently human you know, coordination issues with central bank digital currencies. I think what's interesting about them is a lot of the payment companies and banks and uh, payment channels today got very expensive um, because they are, you know, they need to comply by regulation. They are you know, effectively, there's a, I don't want to say a cartel, but a, you know, a monopoly group of payment processors who are able to, you know, <laughs> provide services to most companies and they are charging the heck out of people. You know, like if you go to one of the, those, you know, big payment companies that can charge you anywhere between two to 15% for a hotel stay and FX charges and redemption fees. And you end up like, and you start thinking about it, like what if, you know, for instance, CBDCs or uh, which I believe in more, uh, just you know, regular corporate-based stable coins are more efficient. Like, I, I think th that's that's where there is potential to lower fees and and create uh, sort of like a better experience for the average person. If you go to an airport and ever want to withdraw money or buy something, like no chance. And it's like, why? The technology is here, right? And and so so I'm I'm, you know. Um, yeah, Mark Carney from the Bank of England used to say that, you know, there is like, it is the payment companies who are being uh, disrupted. And actually, we need a disruption because the mon monopolies that these companies have built up are actually impacting our, you know, our people, our business, our potential for no good reason. So I think that's where, that's where the potential of CBDCs are. The, what I think is going to be most effective is partnerships with private companies. So I think banks, payment companies, and stablecoin companies should be part of um, you know, CBDC plans as opposed to a government-implemented top-down type of uh, initiative. So for instance, I think CBDCs should probably use like you know, Tether or USDC as, a, as an underlying because they are proven, they have distribution, and corporate partners actually can do a better job than governments. I, I just, so, so that, that's what I'm hoping for that, uh, that central banks will have enough humility to recognize that the industry can do a better job than central banks. Um, I want to wrap it up here with some quick rapid fire questions, such as what's your favorite food? I like American hamburgers. Uh, the, I, I like a good Kobe burger, very simple, simple guy. So I just like hamburgers. Uh, favorite musician or band? Don't really have any specifics. I do like classical music and trance music. It's a good mix, but I'm, I'm sort of, I, I listen to everything. Uh, I also like folk music, used to folk dance. So uh, <laughs> like everything. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, favorite movie? Um, Inception. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't, don't really have many favorites like documentaries. <laughs> and uh, for some reason, Inception always, always sticks in my mind. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, favorite book? I uh, generally like books. They, um, the most recent ones I liked was Extreme um, uh, Ownership by Jocko Willink, um, who was a, you know, a veteran uh, in the Afghanistan war. And it's about basically how, as a leader, um, you're, um, you own every mistake uh, that your team does. And I think it's a very good book that I recently read. Uh, yeah. 
Awesome. And when you're not at Van, w- at Van Eck or doing uh, anything at Pointsville, what are you doing for fun as a hobby? Uh, yeah, that's actually what my wife usually asks about. I don't have many hobbies. I, I, my, my hobbies right now uh, are pretty much work. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I do like to walk and I, I do like nature. So occasionally going on hikes is what I do. And I'm hoping to do more of it. But right now I'm sort of, um, you know, building Pointsville and building out Vanek products. So that's my uh, focus. Awesome. Well, Gabor, a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much. It was fun hanging out. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.